Welcome to the Fit for Golf podcast. I am your host, Mike Carroll. The goal of the Fit for Golf podcast is to share insightful and entertaining conversations based around golf, fitness, and health. This episode is with golf coach Davy Barry. Davy is a golf coach based in Ballyneaty, County Limerick, Ireland. He is a coach who excels at helping golfers shoot lower scores, not just improve their swings. In this episode, we are going to break down golf into four categories, off the tee, approach, short game, and putting, and we go through some key concepts you need to understand and can practice to improve your game. This podcast is sponsored by the Fit for Golf app, the only golf fitness resource you will ever need. To find out more, go to www.fitforgolf.blog. You will not find it in the App Store. Davey Barry, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Mike. Good to see you. So just for anybody who doesn't know, Davey is a longtime friend of mine. We grew up playing golf in Matten Golf Club in Cork. Davey went on to become a PGA professional, and I am working in the physical training of golfers. We stayed in touch, uh, working together on a lot of players' development, and Davey also gives me a lot of help with my game, and I help Davey a little bit with his physical training. Davey, you just moved to a new job in Ballyneaty in County Limerick, Ireland. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what your role is there? Yeah, so moved up there in February, uh, moved from Douglas Golf Club, had a great time there with uh, Stephen Hayes, um, was doing a lot of lessons there, but it was more of a members club. Um, it was about looking after members' needs and it was little bit more geared towards that so I just wanted to branch out um, and went up to Balneity in Limerick so we're one of we're probably the biggest driving range in Limerick um, very very busy setup myself and there's Donald McSweeney giving lessons there um, we have Trackman we've uh, inbuilt video systems and we're just flat out giving lessons and I wanted to be in a spot where I was giving lessons all day, every day, um, trying to help players get better. Um, and that's currently what I'm doing. We're seeing a lot of um, beginners coming into the range. So it ranges from teaching someone how to hold a club and what the grip is and what uh, the difference between an iron and a driver is to some really, really good players um, and working through trackman numbers and player development with them. So it's a broad range of players um and it's it's exciting to be involved in a project like that we also just opened a new trackman studio in there so we're trying to move to get some of our better players to have their own kind of practice sessions on trackman and stuff like that so trying to give the player a bit more autonomy of their own game um so it's exciting to kind of move away from just traditional instruction of a lesson leave practice come back lesson leave practice um, and get a bit more into getting the player to be a bit more self-aware about their own game um, what they need to practice and then being able to do it in an environment 
with TrackMan um, is fantastic. So they know what numbers they need to work on. They know the parameters they need to work on as well and what's good for them and bad for them. Um, so it's an exciting thing to be a part of. That's great. So it's interesting there. You reference TrackMan a couple of times. It's very interesting how, I suppose, comfortable or used to uh, launch monitors that a lot of, say, average club golfers are becoming uh, just with their lessons. Can you explain to some people maybe who have never been on one or are worried about all these different numbers and, and degrees and confusion, literally how simple uh, TrackMan can be used? What are the most basic things that somebody can, can experience in a lesson where they have the numbers from a launch monitor and maybe why it's not something to be worried about? Yeah, so like we do we do two different sets of lessons in Balneary. We do a half hour video lesson, which is done in a separate room. Um, you video your swing, hit balls out, that's fine. Um, and then we only start using a track man when we go into 45 minute lessons or hour lessons. Um, and the first thing, because I get some beginners that would come in and they might never have seen a track man and they ask someone, have, do you know the track man or do you know what it's about? And some people will say no, some people will say yes. Some people will want to know a lot of numbers. But the first thing I'll always say to them is the track man is there to make my job easier and to prove if what I'm telling you is right or wrong, really. Um, and then every player is going to need different things to work on. And I think that's where I think that's where good coaching comes into it. The trackman gives us a great diagnosis. It gives us exact figures on what's happening at the moment of impact, telling us what the ball is doing. Um, and I always feel my job is to make them numbers as simple as possible. Um, to make them understandable in a way that gives less technical instruction. Um, so it starts to get it to be easier for the player to know what's important for them. It's also kind of going away from how the swing should look. It doesn't have to look a certain way um, as long as it performs in a certain way. And we're looking for certain things, Joe, controllable numbers, no extremes in it. Um, and I've never had someone leaving a lesson with the trackman that seemed like they didn't want to use it again. It, it even for the most basic beginner, um, if we use it in the right way, which if it's if you're very very new to golf, you don't need to be knowing the numbers. But if you're if you're into a stage where you're hitting the ball consistently up in the air and wanting a bit more control of it, even a basic beginner has if they can just focus on one or two things that the instructor has given them that's correct for them just makes it so much easier and it it also verifies what they're doing so when something as you know mike that you try and change something in the golf swing and it feels so hard the smallest little change in the golf swing feels so difficult but if you can see that the number that we've been talking about is now changing in the way that I would have said that it should change to make things better. Um, it's great verification. It's great kind of reinforcement that that is the right thing to go forward with. Um, and I think that's one of the things it's brilliant for is it's that, that evidence that what you're trying to do is moving it in the right direction. Um, and that's where I suppose the difference between maybe some instructors where They've maybe confused players and stuff like that. It's maybe too much information or looking at all the numbers as one. Whereas I will just take 
a certain set of numbers. There's a lot of times I'll only have two numbers on the screen. Could be something like club path and face to path, and they'll be the only two numbers that I know this player needs to work on. So they'll be the only two numbers on on the screen, and then that keeps it less muddled. It keeps it, as I say, less about trying to make it look better and more perform better. Yeah, I think uh, it's a really good point there and something for people to be aware of if they are taking lessons is that the technology is essentially providing the information about what the ball is doing and about what the club is doing at impact. But you're not teaching players numbers. Like you're not sending a 12 handicapper to the golf course thinking your swing path was three degrees to the left. Now we need it to be two degrees to the right or you're not going to see the ball flight you want. You're simply giving people these are the numbers, this is what's happening, but you're still teaching movement. You're still teaching feels of this is how you're going to change towards a swing and a ball flight that you'd like to see. And essentially the technology that's there is, like you said, just verifying that the change is happening, but you're still keeping the instructions and the the take-home message for the players is more about things they're feeling, maybe with the way their body's moving or the club is moving. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, It's... It's that thing of it's verifying what we've been talking about. Joe, we're, if someone comes into me and they're slicing the ball, it's it's about showing them that the reason they're slicing it is because for a right-handed golfer, their path is a minus number and their face is a positive number. Face to path is a positive number. And then it's showing them then that, Joe, if you change the path, you change or if you change face, you change path normally, stuff like that. And then it's it's then them doing a couple of small drills where, a lot of times they'll actually have, they'll have failed on the task. Joe, I've, I've given them a drill, um, shot doesn't look great, and I'm kind of telling them, oh, no, no, that's fine, that's fine. Look, the shot might be perfect, but look what you've changed movement-wise and look how you've changed the movement of the club, and they can look up and see them numbers. And it's as you say, it's not about getting them to know, oh, I need to be this much or that much on the course. I don't need to have a Joe, minus three or minus four I don't need to match it up it's about trying to get them to understand well if I'm slicing the ball and I want to stop slicing it I need to get my path to move a different direction I need the club face to point a different direction relative to the path um, and then them being able to understand that because I, I always feel for golfers it's very difficult for them to determine what their shot was so I get a lot of people coming to me they think they've hit a slice, they've hit a push. They think they hit pushes, they hit slices. Um, and getting them to understand that the ball can finish in the same spot and it can be different swings or it can finish 80 yards in opposite directions and it can be the same swing with a different face. Um, and I always think the trackman is brilliant for showing that, for showing them that, Joe, if they hit pulls and slices, that... The only thing that's actually changed is the face. So and and that then yeah. kind of they go oh so so actually I do swing it consistent because that's something I always get to. I want to I want to be more consistent. I want to swing it more consistent. And I I keep telling people your swing is consistent. It's just consistent in the wrong direction at the moment, and that's why you can't control your face or something like that. Um, and then that's where that bit of it's that evidence to it to show that that's correct. And then. I also feel for players that in coaching, it's um, it's giving them the confidence in me because I might tell them, okay, we're going to try and do this, this, and this, 
we should see the numbers change this way. Um, and that's going to get us to our final destination, which is going to be X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. And then we start doing the drill and the ball does what it should do. Um, and then we see the numbers moving the way I've told them. And they're kind of going, oh, well, yeah, that's that's now making sense. And this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. And I now have bought into the whole process of, okay, I'm happy if it's if it's not great straight away because he looks like he knows what he's doing. He sounds like he knows what he's doing. And then the trackman reaffirms that, yeah, he is telling me the right information. Because I think, I know before I was using the technology side of it, that was one of my biggest kind of obstacles was how do I get the player to buy into to not being perfect, leaving the lesson tee. So there is, I will do some lessons and it's, look, Dave, I'm playing golf at the weekend. I'm going away for two days and I need to fix this certain shot and that's fine. But for the majority of golfers who are coming and want to try and improve, the first thing I need to get them to do is buy into me as a golf coach. And for me now, the easiest way for me to get them to buy in is knowing what numbers on the trackman are and showing that when we change them, the ball flight changes. And when we change them, when we change the numbers and the ball flight changes, that we're on the right path to a to a finish. Um, I'd often use my stuff from, like, say, the gym with you, and it's about, Joe, you're not going to walk into the gym with a with a for a fitness session and expect to walk out with a six pack. So it's about consistent hard work um and doing all the right things over a long period of time turns you into whatever it is if it's going to be if you want to be a good golfer you have to do it if you want to be fit you have to do it as well it's not about doing it for one day or and it's just there done for you it's um it's about a bit of hard work and i think that's what a lot of people love about golf and why you see so many driving ranges um full with people striving to get better it's because it is a journey and it's 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 a difficult journey. We all know how golf can beat us up so easily. Um and I always feel that's part of my job as well as a coach is to help guide that person on that journey um and help them find their way. Great. So really useful information there about launch monitors in coaching and practice and how they may may be useful. We're going to break into sort of the main phase of the podcast now, which is a little bit more simple. Obviously, not everybody has access to launch monitors, and you also don't need access to one to improve. But we are going to break down the game of golf into four main components. They are going to be the same categories that you often hear referenced on the television coverage for strokes gained. So we're going to look at off the tee, approach, short game and putting we're going to go through a key concept for each one why that's important but then also how you can practice it and improve and the goal of this is if we can give you a key idea or sort of concept behind each one of these something that's pretty universal in terms of as the standard of play gets higher the control of this concept is also higher it's something that pretty much everybody can work on, regardless of what your, say, swing tendencies may be. So the first one that we are going to look at is off the tee. The concepts that we have chosen are strike location on the face. So basically where the ball hits, 
Is it high or low? Is it off the toe or towards the heel? Is it in the center? Can you give us a little bit of discussion, Davey? We'll stick with the driver because that's, I think, what most people are going to be using on par fours and par fives. And it's a little bit different to how an iron works. So can you talk us through a little bit the importance of strike location on the face and some things that people may not realize? Yeah, so it is the most important thing for me while I'm coaching is after I've got someone set up right is that they're striking the ball properly. Because I always try and explain to someone that if it's not struck off the middle of the face anyway, you don't really know what's gone on. And if you're unaware that it hasn't hit the middle of the face, the ball can do so many different things unaware to to you and not because of your golf swing. So like just as you referenced there, Joe, your strike can be, it can be heel or toe, it can be high or low on the face, or it can be pretty centered. And each one of them points will give you a different result. So with a slicer, what you'll generally see is they will have a heel strike because one, because the face is open. So it's always going to lead with the heel. So that's going to lead to a bit more heel slice. But then anything struck off the heel of the club is actually going to make that ball slice in the air. Um, and a lot of players who come to me are unaware of that being a concept straight away. So sometimes they can make a pretty decent swing and still slice the ball quite a large amount. And it's more because of that heel strike. Um, on the opposite side of the face, if you hit it off the toe, you're going to get a lot of hook spin. So you're going to have a lot of draw on the ball and again it can be something that again is maybe something that you're unaware of and making that ball turn over too much and then very important as well for driving is if it's high or low on the face um, and if you hit it low on the face the ball will spin a lot more um, and generally what you'll actually see a lot of times is people teeing down drivers into the wind um, and to me I'm always thinking well for a lot of people, that's just helping the ball spin more because you're going to hit it low on the face. Um, and because on the opposite side of it, if you hit it high on the face, you're now going to get less spin. The ball will launch a little bit higher, but it will spin less. Um, and that's a real key kind of concept of, well, where do you want to hit it on the face? And if you're someone who's slicing it, maybe slightly on the high side and slightly to the toe side would be absolutely ideal. Um, and maybe if you're someone who struggles with the left shot, maybe actually striking it slightly off the heel would be beneficial. Or if you had something where you had movable weights in your driver, um, we'll give Ping a plug here where they have just three little um, weights on the back of it where you can actually help your misses with that. So if left all the time, you could just have that weight set over onto the toe so you're in um you're changing the center of gravity to a little bit more toe side and actually giving it that bit of cut spin so you could actually stop your your hooks a little bit with that so that's where as well custom fitting is very important with the driver and it, and even more so for maybe your handicap golfer up in the teens and 20s where they feel that custom fitting is for low handicappers or pros it's so much more beneficial for a high handicapper because we can now move around that weight and help that strike location and stuff like that. Um, so the first thing is actually being aware of it, Joe, that, that these things happen. And there's so much um, information online now that 
if you have a particular ball flight, it's worth going and trying to figure out, okay, what might be happening with my strike first? Or is there a wear across my face? Joe, if you've got a driver and you're seeing a wear pattern on the heel or on the toe or low or high in the face, is that something that you're you're seeing? Um, because that can definitely affect your shots. So considering strike location is one of the most important things uh, for people to to improve on and, and first of all, be aware of, how can someone practice this on the range tomorrow, Dave? Um, there's a couple of real, real simple ways. It's like, first off, just having a look in your face and see is there anything, as I say, sticking out or anything like that. But um, something like you do yourself is using foot spray. Um, foot spray on the face uh, leaves a mark every time you hit it um, and starting to see, do I have a pattern? So is it is it scattered? Is it all over the face? Is it in one particular place or what is it? Um, and then another one, if you do have a little bit of um, a tendency of if you're seeing on your face that there's wear on, say, the heel or something like that, just starting to put a couple of constraints in the way can really help too. So if you're at the driving range tomorrow and you feel that, and I'm just going to reference slicers because it's the biggest complaint I get, the biggest thing I get is people coming to me, they want to fix their slice. And there's two reasons why they're probably slicing it is so they're well, their face is open, their path's going left, but they're also probably hitting it off the heel. So if we can get that more centered, we're going to reduce that slice straight away. And if you're hitting it off the heel, it means the center of the club is going away from you or you're pushing the hosel of the club closer to the ball. So a real simple drill there would be getting the head cover of your driver, teeing up the ball in the center and putting that head cover right on the toe of the club so that if you pushed anywhere towards the ball, anywhere towards the heel, that you'll start to hit the head driver, uh, the head cover. Um, you could do it with a half empty bottle of water as well. The only thing to do is make sure you don't put something there that's going to break the driver or damage the driver if you put it in there. But what you'll see of most slicers then is they'll come in and the first couple of times they'll hit that head cover and they'll Normally, what they do then is they ask me, going, oh, how do I fix it? I go, just just take six or seven swings. And what you'll see is the human body is really good at adjusting and adapting. And after about seven swings, you'll start to just miss it naturally. And they'll start to feel a little bit more centered hit. And then they'll have a lot more um, information on what's actually happening in their swing. So is it actually that they've just been hitting the heel and that's what's been exaggerating a lot of their slice. And actually when they hit it centered, they actually hit a lovely fade. Um, just a couple of things like that. Foot spray is brilliant for seeing it as well. Um, and then if you have put foot spray on, a great training game is is trying to, and this again is like, as you said there a while ago, Mike, it's uh, depending on your skill level. So this would be for a slightly more skilled golfer. And to control, to be able to hit it where you want to be able to hit it, you have to be able to hit it everywhere, really. So you put your foot spray onto the club. You split it into four quadrants. Joe, you've got a low heel and a high heel strike. You've got a low toe and a high toe strike. And then you're trying to hit all them um, quadrants. And make it, I always tell players, make it a game that has a score in it. There's no point really in you going to the range and just going, oh, I'm just going to try and hit the four quadrants and taking you 20 balls. Count how many shots it takes you. And if the first time you try it, it takes you 20 shots to hit 
all four quadrants and I always ask them then to try and hit that center line as well. All four quadrants and the center point. If that takes you 20 balls, that's fine. That's your score for the first time you've done it. And then the next time you go to the range and you do the same game, you now have a score to beat. So you now have your four quadrants and we just say it's taken you 16 balls and all you have to do now is hit the center. Well, now you only have four balls to do it or else you don't beat your score. So you're starting to bring a little bit of Joe, pressure into this uh, practice session as well. So it's a lot of what you practice is how you practice it as well. So you put a little bit of pressure on that and then that can start to simulate how you might feel on the course with pressure drives and stuff like that as well. But okay. just anything that's going to give you feedback, Mike, is always really good for practice. Perfect. So number one off the tee, especially with driver, is getting an awareness and practicing where your strike location on the face is. Number two is angle of attack. The reason I kind of asked you to touch on this one, Davey, and I know you you agree that it would be a good second one, is I think what somebody's angle of attack is and what their setup is can have a huge effect on where they strike on the face because of essentially what they're trying to do with their swing. So can you talk us through a little bit why angle of attack is so important? Well, what it is, why it's important, and some of the mistakes you see in, in average golfers. Yeah, so angle attack first for anyone who doesn't really understand these terms is it's basically just the angle the driver is coming down into the ball. So you either have you either have a negative angle of attack and that's the club coming downwards while it hits the ball. You have a zero, which is just flat, or else you have a positive, which is striking up on the ball. And with the driver, that's what we're really trying to do. I know there is a lot of players on the PGA Tour that do maybe hit down a little bit, but we got to always remember that their skill set and their control of the golf club is a lot more than most amateurs. And for most, for 99.9% of amateurs, we're probably trying to increase their, their ball speed and their distance. And angle of attack is going to really affect that. Um, we're looking to hit the driver on the way up it's going to reduce spin on the driver, which is going to be good for most players. It's going to get a little bit more distance because it has less spin on it. And it's going to help with the strike location as well because one thing I see very, very common is somebody who misunderstands what a, even what a sky shot is. So if they pop it up in the air and they feel that they maybe have teed it up too high, and I'll always kind of say to someone, it's, it's, it's very rarely the case that it's maybe maybe one in a hundred people teed up too high and the other 99 people have hit down on the ball. They've hit down the handles lead and the crown of the club is actually what's hitting the ball. And then what do they do? They tee it down a little bit lower because they weren't aware that that's what the fault was. So they tee it down a little bit lower and the lower you tee it down, the more it's going to make you probably hit down onto the ball. And it's a downward spiral of mistake being compounded with mistake and then over time driving becoming very difficult for that person. So if you have an upward angle of attack, you're coming from underneath the ball. The club is coming up and the face is tilted backwards. So we've added probably a little bit of loft onto the club for most people. And when we do that, it's now a lot easier to hit the middle of that face. If you think of a driver and if you lent that club backwards, 
we're turning the top of that club away from the ball and we're actually presenting the center of that club to it. So it's it's massively important for you to to have that upward angle of attack to get the maximum distance on your drives, which is invariably what's going to be easier for you to lower your handicap. If you hit a little bit further off the tee, it's going to be easier for you to score. If you're using a club less, it's it's just an easier golf game. Um, I've had people who come to me with driving and looking for a bit more distance um, or saying they struggle with distance and within five minutes, there's 20 to 25 yards added on to their drives just because of angle of attack. And it's the simplest thing. You see a big smile on their face. They can't believe how easy it's been. And it's all maybe down to a misconception of what they had been doing um, and getting the right concept of actually hitting the drivers. And they leave delighted. We spend basically 25 minutes of a half hour lesson, if it was, just laughing at how much further the ball's going from when they started. Would you say the most common reason for people having a negative angle of attack is teeing the ball a little bit too low and having it a little bit too far back in their stance? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's 90% of the people, it's from teeing it too low. Um, there's, yeah, another 10% then maybe where it's it's setup issues where maybe the ball is too far back in their stance or what I get a lot is someone who hits their irons brilliant and their driver rubbish. And it's they're trying to hit their driver like their irons. Um, I get the same complaint actually all the time. It's it's someone comes in and one part of the game is brilliant and the other one's rubbish. And it's like if the irons are great, the driver's poor. If the driver's great, the irons are poor. And it's they're trying to do the same thing with both. So it's it's having that that misconception of what they're trying to do with the driver, or just not even understanding what they're trying to do. And then once they have that that correct setup of making sure the ball position is correct, um, which is forward in the stance, which they maybe have heard before, but they didn't know why they were meant to do it. So start talking about what we're trying to do with angle of attack, and then they go, oh, well, well, that makes sense now. So they buy into the fact of, I'm happy to put it forward in my stance. Um, set up changes of maybe having that little bit of shoulder tint and tilt and lean the spine back a little bit. And all these things, when it's been explained correctly and showing them that again if we go back to even trackman showing that this is the number we need to change if it's angle of attack etc um that's all then one two little changes in setup that they are buying into because they know that that's going to change that number on trackman makes a big difference for them so they buy into that concept a lot quicker Okay, perfect. So quickly sum up uh, category one that we're going to try and help you with off the tee. Number one is strike location. Get some Dr. Scholl's foot spray. You can also get strike spray, which has been designed just for golfers. It's the same stuff. You can get it pretty cheap on Amazon. Uh, practice spraying the face, seeing where your strike location is, and practice being able to move around the strike on the face so that if one day you're struggling with a toe strike, you know what it's like to hit it closer towards the heel. And that will probably end up being centered, even though you're trying to hit it off the toe. And then the second one is angle of attack, which is whether the driver is moving down, flat, or up as you're coming into impact. The quickest ways for most amateurs to improve that is teeing it up slightly higher and moving the ball position slightly forward, or at least experimenting yeah. with that. One okay. thing they can do with that as well, Mike, is just 
just put an extra tee in front. So if you're playing a little practice round or if you're on a grass range or anything like that, put a put another tee about a half a foot in front, same height. So if you can then get that first tee out of the ground and miss the second tee, you've definitely had that upward angle of attack where if you start to hit that second tee, that club's definitely going down into the ball, which is a great way to have it. Yeah, a way I've actually seen that done too for people who aren't on a grass range is an empty sleeve of golf balls about the same height as a tee and just put it in the same spot. And at least if even if you hit it, it's neither of those are causing any damage. We're going to move on to category two, which is approach. So think of par threes, second shots into par fours or par fives or third shots into par fives. The concept that we're going to talk about is low point. David, can you give us some info on what low point in the swing is and why it's so important, particularly maybe when we're hitting the ball off the ground as opposed to driving, which we just talked about, when you can use a kind of one and a half or two inch tee? Yeah, so low point is, again, just explain that. So is is where is the lowest point in the golf swing? So if we had an angle of attack that was going down into the ball or negative, the low point would be after the ball. So the club has come down, it's still going down after it goes to the ball, and then it's the point of where that club's then start to come upwards. So with the irons, we want a low point of having it um, after the ball, and with the driver, we want it behind the ball. So any positive angle of attack, you're going to have a low point behind the ball. So think of it as a pendulum, where's the bottom part of that pendulum, and then where is the ball hitting it before the, or where is the club hitting the ball before that bottom part of the pendulum? Um, with irons, then low point is really important for for a lot of things, but I think it's it gets uh, again mis mis misconstrued sometimes, and people get the wrong concept of what they're trying to do, um, and they think of low point of angle of attack as maybe two different things, and they they increase their angle of attack maybe a lot of times too much um, and end up getting too steep because they've been told that they have to hit down into the irons. They have to hit down into the irons. It's a massive thing. to This thing of they think they have to compress the ball um, and they end up getting too steep into the ball. Um, so what that's then going to cause is if the angle of attack is too steep, you're going to struggle to control loft on the club and, controlling loft on the club and your angle of attack and low point, that's what's going to control distance. Um, best player in the world to ever do that is, is Tiger Woods. You, you look at his distance control through the years of when his irons are good and every shot is finishing pin high. It's, it's he is in control of the loft of the club at impact. Um, so it's about mixing the couple of them things together, but also understanding of how to do it then as well. Um, as I say, I've had too many people come into me and they're hitting down way too much in their irons just because they're told that's what you're meant to do with an iron. You're meant to hit down on it. I'm meant to make this divot. Um, and it's it's ruined as many golf swings as it's fixed. Um, just a little point for anyone listening that just understanding what a divot actually is. And generally what a divot is, is the club comes down. There's a slight ramp on the club. It hits a real solid object, which is a golf ball, and the golf ball deflects the club down into the ground. So it's it's as much that as it is you hitting down into the ground. 
Yeah, trying trying to make a divot isn't really solving uh, the the nice divots that you see good players make. They're more a byproduct of how they've struck the ball. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's 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 about the, the it's like the handle of the club is is leading the the head, so the handle is forward. Um, the club head hits the ball; it gets collided down into the ground. That's why it's nice and shallow. Should never have these really really big divots that you can see at the end of the divot they've torn out of the ground um and they're getting steeper as they go down um and that's that's all from people seeing maybe big divots on tour and stuff and then thinking they have to hit down hard into the ball so with the say average or slightly higher handicap golfer davy when hitting an iron or a wedge off the ground, the low point tends to be further behind the ball compared to better players or pros. How can they look at shifting that low point forward? What's a way they can practice, say, maybe figuring out where their current low point is now and how they can work on getting the low point forward? I think it's just important probably to touch on if you struggle, like the kind of real basic shots that you'll see if you struggle with your low point control is you'll have a lot of thins and you'll have a lot of heavy shots as opposed to someone who has better control on their low point. So if your low point's early, you might hit the ground or you might deliberately try and miss the ground and hit the middle of the ball for your thin. But when you see really good players, they rarely struggle with that. Most of the strikes are more solid. So how can the, the say, average player work on shifting that low point with the iron or wedge slightly further forward so it's the other side of the ball, closer to the target rather than behind the ball? Yeah. So again, first thing is actually, and you said it's it's how can they actually become aware of where their low point is, um, and easiest things to do there is is draw a line in the ground. So if you have two tees and you make a line, and you put the golf ball on that line, and where's that divot started? Is that divot actually starting a little bit behind the line, or is it started after the line? Um, and then. As simple as, and I've done it so many times and I've improved so many people's strike by doing that test. They see it's behind the ball. They ask me, how am I going to change that? And we, I just let them go, just make sure the next divot is going to be in front of the line. And we do no golf ball and just trying to get them to land that club after the line. So just getting them to be aware that that club has to land just after the line um, I tell them over exaggerated. If you're if you're one inch behind the tee, make sure the next the line the two tees at the line are. If you're one inch behind, make sure that the next swing is in front of it. It doesn't have to be right; just has to be in front of it. So they could be three four inches in front of it. It might be too far for a proper golf shot, but it's it's them understanding how their body's moving to change that low point. Um, and then we start exploring, going, okay, well, do it another couple of times, and as you're starting to get a bit consistent, what are you feeling different in your swing? Most people will tell me that they feel that they're pushing into the ground a little bit more on their left side if they're right-handed or their lead side. Um, and it's it's just getting that bit of awareness that the weight shifts forward, that moves the low point. Um, it can be ball position is another big thing um, and handling being another thing, making sure that that handle is actually in front of the ball um, for it. Uh, the other thing they can do as well is just to get a sense of it is placing maybe a club on the ground just inside their left heel. So halfway between their left heel and the center um, of their stance 
and starting with the handle of the club over that club on the line, on the ground. And just again, getting that feeling of as they hit the ball, that the handle of the club is over the club on the ground so that that handle is leaning forward um, and that's getting that nice downward angle of attack and getting that low point shifted forward to ball, then turf um, and going through. One thing I would see a lot on, on driving ranges as well is people hitting off the mats and being unaware that, that they're the hitting kick. behind. Yeah, and it, they, they're loving it because it's, it's actually going a little bit further because it's taking a little bit of spin off it. But you can hear that difference in sound of a little bit of mat, then ball, and the ball flies actually okay. Um, and then they wonder why they're struggling on the course. So if you're, if you're on a mat, and you can't put two tees into the ground, or you can't see where that club has entered the ground, bring a little bit of chalk with you, and just put that chalk, put a chalk line in front of the ball, and you're trying to get that chalk first. Um, that would be my first thing, is getting that that awareness of where they're hitting it, and or where they're landing that club in the ground, um, and what their tendencies are. Some people are actually too far in front, and they're actually hitting top shots because of it, their weight's going too far forward. Um, Generally, people are too far behind it, trying to help the ball into the air rather than letting the club actually do the work for them there. Um, and then once they start to get a little bit consistent with hitting that Joe, ground after the ball, another great thing then is maybe um, a little coin or putting a towel down behind the ball. So maybe giving yourself about three or four inches behind the ball and um, hitting that ball first and not hitting the the towel or the coins i always say coins with better flair and towels with higher handicappers um and i've actually had some players and i've been asking them to use two in ireland here euro coins um it's the most expensive coin we have so putting it behind the ball about one club head behind so if they're at the driving range and they fail this task they've hit two euro into the middle of the driving range so all of a sudden we're bringing a bit of pressure into this little small drill as well. So again, there's a bit of feedback on that. So drills need some sort of feedback and some references. And then for a better player, we're putting a little bit of pressure on it by getting them to put their own money on the ground. Yeah. I think a, a good point that you touched on there, Davey, for people who fall into the problem of getting the low point behind the ball is especially maybe slightly higher handicaps is the understanding of the loft on irons and wedges and actually trusting that that loft that's on the face is what's going to get the ball into the air. They don't need to try and help the ball into the air by adding loft. And it's that almost lean back to the right side, the hands getting behind the club head and then trying to almost flick the ball into the air leads to that hitting the ground first or hitting the thin shot. So you actually talked about a drill there getting the opposite of that feeling, which is making sure the grip of the club starts slightly in front of the ball it's set up. And then as they're coming into impact, they maintain the hands slightly in front of the ball and making sure the weight's on their left foot rather than their right foot, which is complete opposite concept of getting the ball up in the air. It almost feels like you're going to keep it down a little bit lower, but because you get better contact and you have the loft on the face, the ball is no issue getting up in the air. Yeah, and it's it's it is something that I see very commonly on the lesson deals of especially for people who've played other sports and any other sport will have played, we generally lean back to get the ball in the air. Don't you think of if you have a tennis racket, 
and you want to latch that, you're going to lean back a little bit. But all these other sports, um, we have one instrument. Like if you play tennis, you have one tennis racket. If you play, like in Ireland here, if we're playing hurling, you have to you have to lean back to get that ball in the air, but you have to manipulate what that that object in your hand is doing. Whereas in golf, we have a set of golf clubs. So I've I've often said in group classes, um, and we're maybe doing something with irons, and I'll ask them, what's the easiest way to hit the ball further with an iron? And there'll be a bit of a silence, and then you'll have somebody maybe put their hand up and kind of go, uh, swing harder or faster or do this or that. And I'm like, no, no, there's an easier way, there's an easier way. And then eventually someone will click and go, use a different club. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what your that's what your clubs are there for. So if you if you have a seven iron and you want to hit the ball further, granted it's good to build speed into that, but the easiest way to hit the ball further is hit your six iron. So if you want to hit the ball shorter, hit your eight iron. Um, whereas other sports where we're doing a lot more manipulation. Um but the more we start manipulating in golf, the more trouble we're going to get into. Yeah. So key message to finish up on the approach play is get comfortable with the idea of taking some loft off your iron or wedge as you're coming into impact rather than trying to lean back and help the ball in the air. Would that be fair? Yeah. Yeah. And that goes like, again, from from a beginner down to a really established golfer, for the really established golfer, the better control they have of that, the better control they're going to have of their distances, which is going to lead to smaller misses. Um, and for your beginner golfer, your more novice golfer, getting that proper strike is just going to help them actually hit more solid golf shots and lead to more greens and regulation for them. Okay, perfect. Number three is short game. We are going to use the concept of changing the trajectory of shots around the green as a key concept. The reason I chose this one, um, I play a lot of my golf with my friends who are slightly higher handicaps, kind of 15 to 20 range. And something that I see with those guys is they're reasonably good ball strikers from playing other sports like hurling and things like that. When they get around the green, they basically have one shot. So they have the same pitch and run type shot which can work fine if they're on fairway grass and they have a reasonable amount of green to work with. But anytime they're in heavier grass or it's a shot that requires it to go a little bit higher and land a little bit softer, they're almost forced into trying to fit their one pitch and run shot into that situation, which means landing the ball in rough grass or fringe grass. And if they land it on the green, it's just going way past the flag. So, can you give us a little bit of info, Davey, on, I suppose, the importance of why you want to change trajectory around the greens isn't that hard to comprehend, but how we can do it, more importantly? Yeah, um, like the concept of it first is is there's only three shots. There's only three things the ball can do around the green. And it can either spend very little time in the air and the majority of the time on the ground, can spend about half its journey in the air, and half its journey on the ground, or it can spend most of its journey in the air and very, very little time on the ground. Um, and the easiest way to change them trajectories, first off, is going back to you have a full set of golf clubs and you probably have some clubs in your bag that are going to be able to change um, your trajectory. Uh, for 
uh, we'll just say you're a more average golfer, what you want really is you want one swing, one one chipping setup and swing, and being able change clubs for this. So if if you're able to just master that one setup, um, which is generally pretty simple for chipping, keep your weight on the lead side, have the ball pretty centered. And make sure the club actually hits the ground, not just brushes the grass as you go through. Um, and all the way it stays on your lead side through the shot. If you can just change clubs, you can change your trajectory pretty easily. Um, um, one way I'll always give my players that start is going, first off, and it's, it's I'm kind of testing the player as well as just seeing how, like Joe explaining it. Um, and if you were able to pick the ball up and throw the ball, because the game would be so much easier if we could go up to the green side, pick it up and just throw it over to the hole. Well, what kind of throw would you do? Joe, would you would you pick it up and would you go underarm and throw it up in the air and try and get it stopped very quickly? Or would you nearly throw it like a, a bowling shot where you're going to roll it the majority of the way? And then for most players, that's, that's all they have to think of. Joe, what would I do there? And then if you're throwing it like a, like a bowling ball or something like that, you're going to go, okay, well, I'm going to use a club with less loft and I'm going to hit that same shot. If if there's an obstacle in the way and you're going to try and go over something and you want to stop a bit quicker, you're going to use a club with a little bit more loft. So trying to make the game as easy as possible is is your first goal. So if you're, if you're someone who's shooting mid to high 80s and you want to save a few shots around the green it's not about being able to play this massive big flop shot and play six or seven different shots and be able to hit the low spinner and the high flop shot it's about actually simplifying it first and not wasting shots around the green because most people are are wasting more shots around the green rather than not being able to gain enough shots around the green and they're hitting too many times where they've either had to chip twice or the chip they've chosen has put the ball into three put territory. Um, and that's a lot of times just using the wrong club. They're trying to use, maybe it's the same club all the time they're trying to use or being afraid of using certain clubs um, because they feel like they have different swings. If they take out their sand wedge or their lob wedge, I've often been told, oh, I'll show you how I hit this. And I, I'm kind of laughing in my head. And then after we have the conversation of how we're going to get our basic setup and stuff, um, I'm going, okay, well, now you're going to do that same shot with, say, we just say lob wedge, and you're going to do that same setup and swing with a pitching wedge, and you're going to do that same setup and swing with an eight iron. And you see three different shots, three different trajectories, um, and it makes the game so much more simple. And then as that player gets better and better, and if you're now into shooting in the 70s or you're looking to be um, a golfer who's going under par well now you need to add in a couple of extra shots Joe you might have to add in a couple of extra trajectories and that's then maybe Joe hitting it a little bit lower with your lob wedge to add a bit of spin um, and then playing different games and trying to really understand what shots you're able to play and choosing the right shot for the right um, situation for you which is a lot of times just 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 playing games around the chipping greens. You see kids sometimes are just incredible at pitching, especially like 12, 13, 14-year-olds, incredibly good around the chipping green. 
and then they mightn't be as good a golfer as they should be because they've been having fun around the chipping green, but then they go onto the course and they're trying to be perfect. John, you're kind of taking away that bit of um, artist in in them on the course. Um, so I always say, don't be afraid to choose the right shot for you as well, as long as it's not something crazy where it's a flat green, flat lie, loads of green to work with, and you're hitting this big, huge full swing flop shot. But it's okay to change up a little bit and not have to do the exact thing that the that the textbook would say. Okay, that's great. So in terms of practice, Davy, if we just for argument's sake say that the the average golfer I think it's fair to say struggles more with the the slightly higher softer shot than they do the basic chip and run probably because the swing needs to be slightly longer maybe if they're using a you know 56 to 60 degree wedge and trying to carry the ball maybe 15 to 25 yards say can you give us a basic uh, run through of simple setup simple ideas for the motion um that you want to see for a player so they can go to the chipping green tomorrow practice hitting some of the softer, higher pitch shots that they need when they get themselves into sort of trickier situations around the green. Yeah. So yeah, as you say, that's probably the one that most people will struggle with as, as the club gets a little bit more of loft. Um, they've probably hit a couple of poor ones that have, they've made a big swing and maybe knifed it through the green or something like that. Or they've done the killer one where they've hit the ground before the ball and the ball just flops over in front of them to divot nearly lands on top of the ball. And the first thing to be aware of with this is, is the ground is your friend. So you really, you have to hit the ground to hit a good shot. If you don't hit the ground, it's definitely going to be a bad shot. You're going to skull it through the green. So the ground being our friend is the first thing. And what I'll often just get people to start trying to do it's just trying to get the club to to bounce off the ground. I'm not looking for the club to to skim the grass. I'm actually looking for that club to actually hit the ground. But we don't want it to dig in, obviously, because if it digs in, we're going to be in trouble. The margin for error is way too small. So understanding that if the face of the club is slightly open or for a right-handed golfer, turn slightly to the to the right, so you're opening up the face a little bit, you're starting to expose the, the bounce of the club or the sole of the club, the bottom part of the club, and then actually just practicing getting that club to, to bounce off the ground, but it's actually landing into the ground. So it's actually hitting the ground. There's a bit of a, a tud, a tud, a tud. And it's like nearly trying to, I always give the analogy of, it's like trying to light a match. It's trying to light the match. It's not trying to slam the club into the ground, but it's trying to hit it down and you're hearing this bit of friction going between it. And once they get that right, then you move on to the ball. So you don't you don't do that and maybe struggle to do to hit the ground five times in a row and then try and hit this object up in the air over a bunker. You get that right first. Get it right without a golf ball first. Get in that strike where you're hitting the ground, hitting the ground, hitting the ground. And then go over and then once you start to get active, go get a golf ball or get a couple of golf balls and start to do it to an area rather than a hole first. Don't, again, make the task, you're, you're trying to set the task difficulty up for your skill level. So we're not thinking about trying to get this ball to two feet or three feet or four feet. We're just trying to go, okay, can I now just hit the shot that I'm looking to try and hit? And that's up in the air for 
roughly 10 to 15 yards and not roll in too much when it hits the ground. So instead of trying to be constrained with like, oh, it either finished three feet or it finished 20 feet, it's, yeah, a success is, does it look like a lob shot or does it look like a high floating shot? And the keys with that then are that you're not going to help the ball up into the air. There's loads of loft on the club, so you're not going to lean back. You're going to have a little bit of weight forward in the swing or forward in the setup. During the swing, you're going to keep that weight on your lead foot. So you're not trying again to lean back and help that ball up in the air. And then speed is your friend. So if you start to slow down, it's going to lead to disasters. It's going to lead to that club overtaking the hands and then hitting that skull shot through. So keeping the speed up through that shot, Joe, if you watch any bit of golf on TV, you'll see how committed they are to these shots and how much speed there is through the hidden area. It's it's that speed that's going to help because you have to hit the ball up into the air. If you don't hit the ball hard enough, it's not going to get high enough anyway. So having that speed is key, but having it consistent that you're you're getting this um pendulum swing so if you're going back to a swing where the club is pointed up to the sky your follow through is going to go the same distance through or even a little bit longer it's definitely not shorter that's the biggest thing of i'd say is big long back swings getting all committed to hit a, a short high shot and quitting on it the speed stops and the club finishes short or the hands don't follow through especially so committing to that bit of speed is a lot easier when you're not trying to hit it to a pin and you're just trying to hit it into an area as well um, and then when you start getting that consistency where now 90% of the shots are doing what they look like what you're trying to make it look like then you bring in a, a pin and you kind of go okay well now I'll try and hit it towards pin so you're making that task a little bit harder because you've moved on from the task being too easy perfect Last one we're going to talk about is putting. So the two key concepts that we're going to cover are speed and start line. So importance of speed for putting, Davey, I suppose. First things first, really simple. If your speed is poor, you're going to have three putts. I think everybody understands that. But let's focus more in on, say, putts that you have a reasonable chance of holding and why speed is so important. Yeah, well, like with with putting, like there's there's only there's loads of things that can happen, but there's only three real skills that we need to get right, and that's you need to be able to hit it the direction you're trying to hit it. So hit it straight. You need to have be able to control your distance, and you need to be able to read the green because if you don't read the green correctly, you're obviously not going to be able to start the ball on the line. Unless you miss it, correct? <laughs> yeah, unless you miss it, yeah. So if we look at them three things, well, they all tie into each other as well, but that distance control or controlling your distance, if that's off, well, the speed that you hit a putt, it's going to break differently. Like if you've ever ever kind of imagined where you're hitting that, especially for that right-handed golfer, that, that left-to-right kind of breaker, generally what happens is people under-hit that putt. It's not that they under-read it, they under-hit they under it speed-wise. Or when they feel like they don't want to leave it on the low side, they just whack it. Joe, and... It's 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 such an important skill being able to marry up the the start line and the speed because that's the only way the ball can go into the hole on a breaking putt is is having the right speed and the right start line. 
if you hit it too hard, it's not going to break. It's going, yeah, it's not going to break. Or if you hit it too soft, it's going to over break. So marrying them two skills is so vitally important. So you have to be able to read it right, and then you have to be able to hit it to right speed. So you've you've hit it so many times where that, especially that left right putt where the ball comes up on the low side. But what's actually happened is you've started on the right line. It's just you haven't hit it hard enough. Okay, perfect. So how can we practice um, maybe a, a drill, Davy, that people can use where they get an idea to work on their speed and also their green reading, maybe visualizing how they can hold pots at, say, different speeds, depending on, and, and then changing their line based on how hard they're hitting it? Yeah, so like the first thing is getting the speed, controlling your speed. And that's for beginners to elite golfers, it's the first part you need to learn how to hold a three foot putt and then you need to learn how to control your distance um and controlling distance is practiced so poorly most of the time people practice going standing in one spot over again over and over again maybe 25 30 feet from the hole and practicing hitting into the hole and they're they're doing two things poorly there they're practicing how to miss a putt because they're going to miss a lot more putts than they make and they're also just practicing that one putt and after you do it five six seven times you should have a bit of an idea of what that putt's going to do so what you've then just got very good at is that one particular putt which you will never have again because you're on the putting green and there is no putt like that on the course so what we want to practice is more how can you control your speed rather than can i hit this putt x distance so how can you control your speed? Because every green is going to be different speeds um, from course to course. And from day to day, even your home course, the speeds might change. So one great drill I'd always give is a game I call leapfrog. And you set it up. And again, like for, for an elite golfer, you can use it. And I can use it for kids that are just starting the game. And for an elite golfer, you're going to keep a bit of score in it. And for kids, you just play it as a game. But you set up a line with two T's or two coins about 15 feet away from you. And then you set up another line 15 feet past that first line. So what you do then is you're trying to hit it into that rectangle. So the first putt has to go past the line and stop short of the second line. But the next putt that you hit must go past the first ball. The third putt must go past the second ball and so on and so on. And if you can actually do that and start to keep score, and you do the same setup every time, you do the same 15 feet to the first line, we just say 15 feet to the second line, you can make it whatever you want on that though. Um, what you're starting to do is you're starting to control your speed. And then if you can keep score, all of a sudden, now if you have five putts in this zone and you've only ever gotten five putts and there's three feet left to the last line, your last putt means something again. So for the better golfer, it's starting to emulate what happens on a golf course. For a beginner or for their handicapped golfer, maybe shooting in the 80s or 90s, you're just getting a feel of hitting something a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. And you can also do it the opposite way. Try and get it as close to this last line as possible and work your way backwards. So that's that's a great drill for controlling speed and how you can actually start to adjust your speed for your putts 
And then one other great game with that as well is is just get two golf balls. And if the putting green is kind of empty enough, two golf balls, hit your first putt somewhere on the putting green, just 20, 30 feet away from you, hit it, and then take your second ball. And your goal now is to try and hit that first ball in two putts or less. So you're trying to hold it but or hit it, um, but you're trying to leave it as close as possible so that you hit the ball with your second putt. Gives you a really small target too for the, yeah, for the second putt. For the second putt, if you can hit that ball, it's perfect. If you miss it, a lot of times it still would have went into the hole. Um, and it's a great game, I think, to play with somebody else as well, where somebody's somebody's going to hit the ball and their only, their only rule is that it has to stay on the putting green. So the first person is actually practicing trying to get a ball as far away as possible and close to fringes. Um, and then the second person is trying to catch them. So as you say, it's a, it's a small target, so you're practicing something very small. It's brilliant. And that's going to cover your start line a little bit as well, getting that a little bit tightened up. Yeah, and for holding out then and stuff like that. And then for, like you're asking about, then how can you get this kind of visualizing green reading and stuff like that? And marrying up start lines and uh, and uh, reads is is using the hole as a kind of, as a clock face, I'd always say. So if you look at it, imagine you've got your hole, what time or what hour are you going to get that ball to enter the hole? So if you said six o'clock was straight in the middle and seven o'clock is slightly to the left, eight, nine o'clock for a really breaking putt, well, where, where is that ball actually going to enter the hole? And if you can get a hole with that there's a bit of slope coming into it and then imagining that you're going to try and hole putts at different times. So you want one that's going to be really firm and it's as close to six o'clock as possible. And one that's absolutely dead weight is going to take the maximum amount of break and it's going to go in at nine o'clock. We'll say it's coming in from a from a right angle to the left or to the right, whatever way you want to have these putts. So what you start to see is these different different speeds leading to different entry points in the hole. Um, and it's trying to be able to do that, say, from if you did it from six feet, five feet, six feet, even trying to go three different paces, but three different entry points um, and back. I'd never, I'd never advise hitting it to a hole where there's a success and a failure of it's either in the hole or it's not in the hole from anything more than 10 feet. If you're outside 10 feet, you're going to be missing more putts than you're making. So we don't want to really be focusing on hitting it into a hole from there. So like if you did that drill from eight feet, that would be brilliant because you can now hold a lot more putts than you're going to miss. Well, not a lot more, but you can hold more putts than you miss. And anything outside that, you don't want to really be practicing missing putts, which is what we do outside 10 feet. Just put a tee in the ground or a little disc or something for the longer ones. Yeah. And if you want, like if you're going further back, you maybe put a little um, three foot semicircle after the hole so that if the ball doesn't go into the hole, it finishes in that circle. And you give yourself a little point that if it's in the circle, that's a success as well. And you give yourself a bonus point if you get it into the hole um, from that kind of 15, 20, 25 feet. Um, but rather than trying to go from 20 feet, trying to hold these putts, and you might hold one in six or one in seven if you're actually good. Well, you're you're giving yourself a lot of failures. Perfect. 
We're going to do a quick wrap up, Davey, of the categories we went through and then just find out where people can find out a little bit more about you, uh, whether they're in Ireland or in a different country. So category number one was off the tee. We need people to concentrate on where on the face they're striking the ball. Best way to practice it is by spraying the face with some foot spray, doing a little bit of practice, seeing where your patterns are and trying to work towards the center. The second one was angle of attack. Most people, particularly amateurs, struggle with being too negative with their driver, which means that they're striking down, usually related to the ball being teed too low and the ball position being too far back in your stance. So experiment with a higher tee, the ball moved slightly further towards your lead foot, and also try maybe putting either a tee after the ball or a empty uh, sleeve of golf balls a couple of inches after the ball and missing that as you swing through, which ensures that you're sweeping up on the ball a little bit, should lead to higher launch and lower spin, which is great for longer drives without increasing your speed. Number two was approach. The main thing that we concentrated on was low point, so where your swing is bottoming out. Most amateurs struggle with a low point that is too early, i.e. they hit the ground before the ball, or in an effort to miss the ground, they lean back, the club rises up, and they hit the thin shot. So Davey advises a line drill where you put a tee either side of the ball, you hit some shots, and see where your divot starts in relation to that. If you find that you're striking behind the, you're striking the ground behind the ball, or you're not striking the ground at all, experiment with getting the handle of the club to lead the ball slightly or to lead the head slightly and make sure that you maintain that as you th come through impact and you're rotating onto your left side or your lead side rather than leaning back and trying to help the ball in the air. The third one is short game. For the amateur golfer, the, the trouble shot is usually the higher, more floaty pitch shot. The key concept to understand is you need to use loft on the club. So get comfortable with a 56 to 60 degree wedge. The setup, you want to have a reasonably narrow stance, the weight uh, more on your lead side, the ball centered, and then just get comfortable with committing tr through the shot. So make sure you're going back and through, you're not quitting, and you need to get the feeling of the club making good impact with the ground and do, doing so without digging. So if you have the club a little bit open, you expose the bounce. As you hit the ground, the club will graze through the ground rather than digging in if the handle was leading too much. Last one is putting. We talked about speed and start line. Speed's really important to hold putts from any distance. It will also decide how much break you need to play. Really good one for getting the feel for distance is leapfrog. So pick a a certain distance away from you, put one ball a short distance, and then with every putt, try and go slightly further than the one you just hit while not going past the boundary distance you set, which you can increase over time as you get better. And for visualizing start lines and reads, imagine the uh, hole being a clock face and you're picking where on the clock face you want those putts to enter which may not be the center of the hole from where you're looking. If there's a lot of break, it may be 9 o'clock, it may be uh, 3 o'clock, and get used to putting them in at different speeds and entering into the hole at uh, different areas. The softer you hit it, the more break you need. The harder you hit it, the less break that you can use. But remember that the harder you hit it 
and the faster the ball is traveling when it comes towards the hole, essentially the smaller you've made the hole and the more centered it needs to be. Davey, thank you very much for all the advice there. I'm sure there's things that golfers can use in their practice going forward for the rest of their summer and hopefully see some scoring averages and handicaps coming down. We know you're based in Ballyneedy in County Limerick, Ireland. Um, I will. Is there an email address that people can contact you on for lesson information? So davidbarrygolf at gmail.com um, for any inquiries there. You can go through the website, davidbarrygolfcoaching.com um, or if you're looking to book lessons, you can book them online through balanididrivingrange.ie um, and I'm on all the Instagrams and Facebooks and stuff if you want to find me there as well, David Barry. Just at David Barry is the... David Barry 59 on Instagram, um, David, Barry Co- David Barry Golf Coaching on uh, Facebook. Okay, perfect. Uh, Davey, for people who are not in Ireland, do you have remote or online lesson offerings? Yeah, so something that I suppose became popular over lockdown and stuff like that, um, there is online golf coaching. Um, all the information is on davidbarrygolfcoaching.com. Um, there's packages for individual lessons or monthly plans, um, and it's been quite popular now since the world has changed um but it's uh it's interesting it's something new and it's something i suppose you've been into for a long time and uh i'm looking forward to doing a little bit more of yeah and something i would add about davy's online lessons there is they've something that i've been using a lot over basically the last couple of years i used to get in-person lessons from davy while i was living in ireland i've been in the u.s for four years and i sent davy videos and he always replies with some tips and drills that I can use. But the thing that I think sort of separates Davey from a lot of other golf coaches is he's a really good competitor himself. And when you're asking questions about actual rounds, um, basically just talking about how to improve your scores and improving as a golfer, as opposed to just uh, things to work on on the range, he's been really helpful. Um, Just strategy, course management, uh, and almost how to hold things together when you're not playing your best. Really helpful that way. Davey, thanks a lot for getting in touch. I hope uh, some people reach out with their feedback and I might get you on in the future soon. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thanks a lot, Dave. Bye-bye. A huge thank you to Davey for sharing some of the wisdom he has collected over decades now of trying to improve his own game and help other golfers get better. I think he was able to give us some simple concepts that we can work on to try and improve our games and really make a difference to our scores and handicap. Davey really is a great guy, and if you're looking for a golf coach, I give him my highest endorsement. I think he can help people at pretty much every level of the game get better. Uh, Definitely feel free to reach out to him, and uh, for sure follow him on his social media profiles. I'll talk to you next time, and if you enjoyed the podcast, I would really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review, and I will talk to you next time. Thank you.